It's Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. All right, with me, a celebrity gardener that I'm super excited about, guys, because long-term WSB radio listeners, you know this man, and what he does goes hand-in-hand with what we do as gardeners and how we plan our seasons and just plan our outdoor time WSB Radio meteorologist Kirk Mellish. Welcome to Green and Growing. It's great to be on the show. I cannot believe I have not had you on. I'm embarrassed. I have been on six months and haven't had you on yet. So welcome, welcome. I thought this would be a really good time for you and I to kind of catch up and, you know, maybe uh, educate some folks about the weather patterns and things. But just with the change in season, I'm partial to fall. Are you even allowed to say that you have a favorite season? Can you do that? I think it's against uh, AMS, American Meteorological <laughs> Standards, and uh, probably get in trouble with some union somewhere about <laughs> something. I, I like every every season except winter. You know, spring and fall both have so much to, to offer in terms of color. And uh, I love the spring because the weather is comfortable, the green's coming back, color's coming back into mm-hmm. life. You know, you got the whole summer of in normal years of fun ahead, but I do like the fall colors and the Christmas of the air and being able to uh, open my windows, uh, you know, at night. And there are a couple of months where I really don't use the furnace or air conditioning at all. So it's like a a free ride from Mother Nature because I regulate the temperature of the house with the windows open or, or shut and it's just perfect. First, we're going to focus on fall. My favorite season, I can say it proudly. I already upset people on Twitter. You know, you have an opinion. Someone somewhere (laughs) is going to be mad and argumentative. Yeah, that is not my favorite season. Well, guess what? It is. Uh, You were on during Atlanta's morning news with Scott Slade, and, and you do this quite often. You gave out your autumn outlook, and it was fantastic. And I remember last September, I felt like we got a little shortchanged because it stayed so hot. And mention in some of the models and the forecasts and all of that of La Nina, and just you don't have to really break it down that much, but for us common folk, what what does that mean, or what are we looking at there? When we talk about the El Nino or the La Nina, we're talking about sea surface temperatures in the Pacific Ocean, uh, closer to the equator and especially the Dateline. And La Nina means that the, those Pacific waters are cooler than normal, and El Nino would be if they were warmer than normal. And this uh, year we're expecting uh, a La Nina, and uh, that has an impact on the fall and uh, on the winter weather, provided that it continues to uh, develop as we expect. Uh, And if it does, then uh, not only does the fall look uh, not particularly hot, but uh, just a little bit warmer than normal. And based on uh, La Nina, if uh, past La Ninas are any indicator uh, of this one, Mm -hmm. it looks like we may have to wait until the month of November before we see a month where the temperatures average uh, below normal. Now, that's the best, thank you, most common explanation. That was really, really good of explaining that and that trend. So, Kirk, you said in your Labor Day weekend blog here not too long ago, the highest official temp for the whole summer may have been around, I think, 96, 97 degrees. But why did it just feel worse than that? Why was it just so dang uncomfortable for so long? Yeah, that was the interesting part of this summer. Uh, It wasn't the heat. It really was the humidity, as the old saying goes. And, of course, we're used to uh, 
humid summers here, but this was way above normal, uh, very tropical because the general airflow was almost always either out of the Gulf of Mexico or off the Atlantic or sometimes both. Mm -hmm. So we just went months and months with dew points in the 70s, whereas uh, a dew point is a measure of moisture. The higher the number, the greater the relative humidity. And uh, normally we would have uh, dew points uh, in the 60s and only once in a while the 70s. But we were 70 to 75 almost every single day all summer long. So it truly was uh, a, a steam bath kind of kind of summer <laughs> and that's why it, it felt so uncomfortable even though we didn't have any extreme temperatures we didn't have any triple digit temperatures uh we hardly had anything over 95 most high temperatures were in the upper 80s to, to low 90s and over the past couple of decades uh that has not been the case we've been uh having temperatures of 95 and 100 or higher uh frequently in in most summers over the past couple of de- decades and of course, that humidity fueled enough thunderstorms where uh, we we kept the uh, drought away, which is another thing that we have seen so many droughts over the past uh, few decades. This year, no drought uh, during the actual summer months. Rainfall was one to two inches either side of normal across the entire metro area. Wow. If aliens landed and looked at Georgians' social media accounts They would just never believe that because we had some great stuff, a good sense of humor about the humidity. And you you saw them, Kirk, all the memes and all people's complaints. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. I want folks to get to know you just a little bit better. I know they've listened to you on the radio for so long. And just like doing the traffic reports, you, you don't have time for much personality. You're in, you're out, you're telling the facts, but you're on 24-7, billboarded for years. And it is true, Atlanta Radio is only full-time meteorologist. So how do you keep a schedule and just that on-call, 24-7 kind of mentality? Even before the uh, internet, or as the internet was just getting started, they installed uh, communications equipment in my house so that if you know a severe storm or tornado broke out at an odd hour of an odd day, I could get right on and deliver that. And that's continued to this day. So I'm constantly connected uh, to the station seven days a week, uh, 24 hours a day. Yeah, it has created an odd uh, lifestyle you know, <laughs> sp- <laughs> based on, you know, get up at two, two o'clock in the morning to do the prep for the show, Atlanta's Morning News, that starts at 4.30. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's a lot of prep time. Then you do the show and then you get a break starting at 9.00. Then the weather is recorded for a while in between, unless there's breaking weather. And then I start up again, usually about 2 or 3 in the afternoon until uh, roughly 7 o'clock if conditions are normal. So it's it's an odd schedule, and, you know, you can't completely uh, let loose, as it were, just in case some crazy weather comes up. You know, I could go to bed at 8 o'clock in the evening or something, but for some reason, not being a 12-year-old, I just can't do that. So (laughs) basically, I'm just tired all the time. Oh, man. So that goes back to college days, right? Well, you were working from home then before working from home really became cool. Oh, absolutely. And it became, uh, you know, home only. I used to drive into the office uh, for the first half of my career. But yeah, it's been a couple of decades now that I was doing the COVID thing before COVID was cool, even though it's not cool. You're doing it very well. (laughs) Like you just actually told the little secret that, you know, occasionally there are days during the week where in the afternoons, lunchtime and all that, you're recorded. People may not have known that. They literally thought you were live every single, every single weather forecast. Believe it or not, humans need some downtime. (laughs) And I'm not a robot. (laughs) 
and speaking to being human and you are out there, you interact with people, you've got a great appreciation for some of the suburb downtown districts. I've seen you in downtown Marietta and Ackworth and Duluth, cities like that. They just have fun, well-landscaped, lively, like that old-style feel you know, in the downtown areas. So what draws you out just being out and about and enjoying life? Well, I'm, I'm a bit of a foodie, for one, uh, so that gets me uh, out looking for new cool spots. Yeah. I'm a big fan of, of architecture, so I like cool uh, restaurants that have been converted from some old uh, historic building or, or whatever. And I also, probably the closest thing I have to a non-weather hobby is, is live music. I just love live music, and a lot of these uh, places have that, and uh, many of them even have it in gardens, uh, the beautiful gardens, like up in uh, Century House in Woodstock. Yeah. And I'm able to, to do that even during COVID times because it's outside and socially distanced, so being out and mixing with uh, people and listening and watching uh, uh, live music, and there's a great uh, local live music uh, scene here in Georgia. Our colleagues, because I live in the suburbs and so do you, some of them think we're crazy, Kirk. We live so far away from the station. Why would you commute 35 minutes one way with no traffic? I mean, really, you've got everything you need. We don't have to go to downtown Atlanta for all of that anymore. Folks may see you out and about and uh, buy Kirk a drink or buy Kirk a meal. I mean, he, he would love that. And y'all could sit and chat and listen to some live music together. Well, I want to ask you one last thing before you go. What are some of the weather services or the sources that you trust most that maybe nowadays folks are empowered to follow some of those things themselves and maybe learn a little bit more? Well, yeah, I use uh, the National Weather Service and NOAA, um, all of their different platforms. I use those very heavily. And also uh, something people might not uh, think about is many universities have meteorology programs of one kind or another. Uh, and so I uh, rely on them uh, as well for, for data and information. And what I like about those choices is not only is the information uh, viable and, and accurate, it's not sensationalized. There are a lot of other sources out there that I won't name. They're more interested in, in getting eyeball, eyeballs and, yes. and clicks and retweets and those kind of things. And so they go for the biggest, scariest headlines instead of just uh, playing it straight the way I try to do on social media, on the radio, and in my blog at wsvradio.com. Probably the biggest misnomer that people have about the weather is that there's just one forecast and it's delivered by different people, but it's the same forecast mm -hmm. and nothing could be further than the truth. Well, and it's, I mean, there's got to be an art to it because the more educated you are in your profession, there's an art to how you're interpreting that data and someone who's not as educated or in a different part of the country, they may interpret it differently, right? Oh, absolutely. And of course, training for forecasting the weather is a lot different now. All they teach is is computer models. Here's the computer model that says this, and so you point to it and, and say the same thing. But back when I was learning it, uh, we only had a couple of computer models, and they, they didn't show you very much. You had to actually interpret the data to turn all these symbols into snow or rain and so forth. You didn't have the future radar and the five-day neighborhood backyard forecast and so, so <laughs> right. forth. Uh, we actually, you know, had to understand how meteorology and the atmosphere works rather than saying, okay, what does the computer say? So it's becoming a, a lost art and a, and a lost part of the science. And unfortunately, same thing goes with, you know, uh, websites on your computer and, and your phone apps. Those are fed by just one computer, yeah. no human intervention involved, and it's not even the best computer. When you're talking about websites and things, too, this is one that you and Walter may have had in common. And, of course, the 
College of Agricultural and Environmental Sciences at UGA puts it out. But GeorgiaWeather.net, do you visit that one? I have been known to visit that. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Very good uh, resource right there. I referred folks to it a lot because it's got average temperature. It's got rainfall, also like soil temperature. You know, that's important for a lot of things like seeding lawns right now. You know, you definitely want to make sure it's even got... You used to have to, I guess, visit the Farmer's Almanac for this stuff, but it's got the general first frost date and the last frost date of, of every year. So that's really oh, sure. helpful for gardeners. Yeah, check out the uh, Georgia State Climatology Office, State Climatologist Office. That's uh, Pam Knox over there at uh, UGA and uh, uh, the uh, Georgia uh, Agriculture uh, weather site as well. Those are good recommendations. Well, Kirk, I want to leave folks with how to find you. All right. My blog is at wsvradio.com. I do my forecast page there and all of my blogs where I go in-depth on uh, whatever is of interest in uh, the weather at the time. Whatever the hot topic that has my interest or local people's interest, I'll go into in-depth with maps and charts and explanations. So, And you can follow me on Twitter at Mellishmeter. WSB. So at Malishmeter WSB. Kirk, it's really been a lot of fun to catch up with you and keep in touch. And if you ever just want to jump on the show any other time, my gosh, I would welcome it. All right. I really appreciate you having me on, Ashley. Bye, everyone. Thanks. Party like it's 2021 because it is two days into the new year. Thanks for being here and thanks for staying with WSB as long as you have. We really appreciate it. We did have a good year despite all the craziness in 2020. Huge fundraisers with Clark's Christmas Kids and the 20th annual WSB Radio Carathon back in the summer. So looking forward to a lot more community engagement and helping out the community in 2021. All right, Finley Roofing sponsors the weather update here. Scattered showers later today, partly cloudy skies, high of around 60, low around 43. And tomorrow, partly cloudy, high of 52, low around 33. So in North Georgia, are going to get close to freezing, mostly sunny skies skies tomorrow 404-872-0750 yeah i'm live i'm in the studio right now and i would love to take your calls whether you got garden questions garden resolutions things you're going to do differently next year or just what you got for christmas if it was something cool garden related a tool or a plant that you want to share with us please do but calling from augusta georgia this morning we say good morning to brandon hey welcome to the show how are you doing today i'm great thanks happy new year oh thank you ma'am I have a magnolia tree uh, kind of on my property line, but it's right up underneath a uh, power line and trying to get it before it gets too big. It's, I don't know, probably about five foot tall now. But I was wondering what's the best time to transplant it and how far out from the base should I dig uh, during that transplant? So that should be pretty manageable, five feet tall for you to be able to do it. And you do it now. Now is a great, great time um, all the way through really early spring is a good time to transplant anything because it's gone somewhat dormant. You know, it doesn't need the energy to keep the leaves on it and all of that. So I would do that now, Brandon. Um, And always when transplanting a tree, you want to dig the new hole first, right? Leave the magnolia where it's at. Put all your energy into the hole wider than seems necessary, though, so that the roots can spread without crawling. Uh, remove any of the grass to just make that a really nice area to be able to put the magnolia in and then dig up your tree. Go pretty far out. Always they always say, like, maybe go almost out to the drip line of the tree. That seems pretty far, but at least two feet out all the way around the trunk, at least two feet out when you're taking the roots of that magnolia out. You want to make sure you get as many as you can. If any of them look damaged or dried or whatever, you can hand prune those. 
Um, and then just go ahead and plop the tree into the new hole while you're, you know, you've got some help, I'm sure, with it being so large. But don't only handle it by the trunk, too. Like, try to maneuver it almost like a joystick with the trunk, but also your hands kind of down around the root ball so you're not going to do any damage to it. But don't plant it too deeply. You only really want to go, you know, about as deep with the new hole as it is right now. You want to leave that root flare up above the ground. Um, and you should be fine. And also, like... The Arbor Day Foundation, they kind of recommend in the new hole, if you're able to kind of construct like a like a water holding basin around the tree, kind of in, in, you know, a little ways out from the trunk. If you're able to just kind of let that area be like a little water reservoir, that's going to be a little easier for it to soak up some water than it needs initially. It really needs good watering to establish properly. Okay. Well, thank you very much for your time. I, I was a little uh, concerned with the weather and stuff. I didn't want the the roots to be exposed to any cold weather or freezing if it, if it was going to damage it. But it does. I don't think it's going to freeze anytime soon. Yeah, and it seems counterintuitive that this is really a good time to plant new trees and shrubs, but they're very, very hardy. And, of course, like a two-inch layer of mulch or something on top of that is really going to help protect it, too. You know, if, if any of the roots are just barely above ground or something, that mulch is going to be really protective. Thanks for the call. Good luck. Quite a task. All right, coming up next, my friend Mickey Gasaway to wish us a Happy New Year. Hey there, Mickey. Happy New Year, Ashley. It's so good to hear from you. Now, I know, I mean, I, I could talk to you for a little bit, but we've got, you've got garden resolutions. You've got probably cool things you got for Christmas. What's shaking? Oh, well, I, I was planning, a friend and I were talking yesterday about what we were going to do this spring. That was so funny when that came up. And I am going to plant an asparagus bed. I, I had one for it. years, and then when I installed some beehives, I had to take it out. Mm -hmm. And um, so now I had to get rid of some of the beehives, so I had to... Um, I'm, um, I'm putting this asparagus bed back. You know, so and it's excited. it's one of those things, if someone's thinking about that, they, they do need a little bit more room than just to plop yep. down a couple of tomato plants. And this is going to be want to be a bed that you don't touch for three, four, five years. I mean, once you put it there and you decide it's going to be there, it needs to be a permanent spot. But I'm glad you, you asked about that because last week I had Sandra message me on the Facebook page and she heard me in my top three things. I was saying, you know, it was time to get the bed ready and all of that. But she's like, do I plant the crowns now? What do I do? So what are you doing as far as bed preparation goes? Well, first of all, mine, mine was, there was, it was still in pretty good shape from when I had it before. And oddly enough, where I live, it's odd, but I do have sort of sandy soil. Huh. And so uh, it's not as heavy a clay, as, and that's what asparagus like. They do like the sandy soil. So mine is in pretty good shape to begin with, but I'm going to add some I'm going to add a little more organics, and I'm going to dig a trench. That's really important. You dig it, you dig it about maybe a foot, foot and a half, something like that, deep, and then you put the crowns in there, and as they grow, you fill them in. I love it. Mickey, if you can, hang tight, because I want to get a little more into that about maybe some varieties people might be successful with and when we need to plant those crowns exactly. So hang tight. We're going to go check news, weather, and traffic, and we'll be back with Mickey Gasway and your calls on Green and Growing. Thanks for being here. Happy 2021. I'm Ashley Frasca. You're listening to WSB.
Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. Happy New Year. Halfway through the show, you're listening to Green and Growing on WSB. I'm your host, Ashley Frasca. Kind of relieved the holidays are over. They were fun. They went by in a flash, but uh, but I'm ready. I'm ready to move on. So we'll talk about here in just a little bit poinsettias. What do you do with those now that... Uh, now that the holidays are over, you may have already taken out all your Christmas decorations, but don't throw those away. Wait, just wait. There's there's something that can be done with those. So we'll talk about that. And I've had a couple of you message me that you really enjoy the music to the show. Um, at the top and the bottom of every hour, you hear the little intro there. And just FYI, since some of you have been asking, that's a little collaboration of Nelly Furtado, Ludacris from right here in Georgia, Tim McGraw, Where the Green Grass Grows, that's an old song. And then the saxophony, trumpety, kind of sounding jazzy thing at the end. Uh, that's Us Three. That's like a one-hit wonder band from the 90s, I believe. And the song's Cantaloupe. But I loved that song so much growing up. So anyways, that's that's the reason behind that. That one does not have any garden references. But glad some of you asked. Glad some of you really like the music. It, it's kind of catchy. It picks you up on a Saturday morning. So I'm really glad that Mickey Gasaway called in. She was up early listening to the show and uh, Mickey, we were talking about, you know, things we're resolving to do differently or new things we're going to try. And you're bringing back the old asparagus beds, and I love it. Yes, I am. I'm so excited. I, I think uh, that's um, going to be a fun one, and that's a really rewarding one. And, like, the ferns are really pretty when you let it go to, you know, fern. I mean, it's just kind of a, a fun part of your garden bed. So oh, we talked are. about— and you know it's going to be there year after year. Yep. So, yeah, we talked about it needing to be kind of a permanent spot that you're picking here, folks, because it's not just a one-season-and-done one kind of thing. So, Mickey, you were saying, you know, you're going to add a lot of organic things to the soil. They don't like clay soil. Um, are we talking a raised bed, or are you just doing it right? Right in it's the ground. sort of semi. It's semi-raised. I have a, a very small garden. It's on the side of my house. Most of it is raised, but this is where I had the beehives, and so it's not actually raised unless I get around to raising it before I do it. But uh, mainly, it, it is built up. It's not low by okay. any means. Yeah. So if we just want to use maybe railroad ties or those trellises or whatever, that oh, would yeah. be sufficient. Or some rocks. I've got some old stones, and I may put those around there. It'll look good. Perfect. All right. So we're just preparing the beds for the asparagus now, not planting that yet. You know, it's too early to be thinking about any of that. You could be doing broccoli and stuff now, but I think you're a little late. But we yeah. want to wait until the spring to plant the asparagus as soon as like soil temperatures reach 60 degrees, not the outside temperature, but soil temperature. Soil so temperature. when you're really getting into gardening and needing to know these things for your, you know, your warm season crops and stuff like that, georgiaweather.net is a great website, georgiaweather.net. Net, and you can check dew points and humidity and soil temperature, air temperature, all of that in your area due to like the little weather stations that are nearest to you. So that's something where you want to start checking georgiaweather.net to see when soil temperatures are 60 degrees. What would you say, Mickey? I mean, generally, that's probably what, early oh, April? Yeah, I think that's great. Usually um, um, in March, okay. sometimes in there is usually when I sort of shoot for it. And then where do you get your asparagus crowns from? How are you starting I, these plants? Sure. Uh, Pikes has them. They come with uh, um, the uh, the bulbs, like mm-hmm. the summer bulbs. That's where you'll find them on that rack. Cool. And, so that's um, easy. Yeah, yeah. They'll be with like the uh, where you see the the um, the iris bulbs, the iris roots, and all those kind of things. That's where you'll see them, and uh, that's when you plant them because they're crowns. That's what you're actually getting is the crowns. 
So, and you, right before the break, you were mentioning, too, to dig those trenches. Why do we want to dig a trench for these rather I than just a trench. hole and pop it in? Yeah, I dig it about, oh, maybe a foot deep, maybe a little bit deeper than that. Wow. After I've worked up the soil, and then you put the crowns in the bottom about a foot apart, and um, then as they, and, and cover them up, just barely cover them up. And as they grow, then you cover them up more and more and more. As they grow through, then you put some more soil oh, on there. So you're building the soil up around it as it comes higher and higher. That's exactly right. Oh. You just keep pushing it up. Hmm. This is going to be fun. So I think it's this really is... easy. And, yeah. and you don't harvest them. <clears throat> you don't harvest them the first year. Although I have to say I might take a bite. My asparagus don't get in the house very often because I eat them while I'm in the <laughs> garden because I love them right off the thing. But um, you're really not supposed to do a full harvest until the third year. Um, usually I don't harvest it all the first year unless I speak some. The second year I, um, I do a few, I, I do, you know, just a, a little bit, maybe for one one meal. And then after the third year, then I begin to harvest normally. So what do we do if we do see, you know, the asparagus shooting up in that first year? I mean, it really is tempting to, to pick it, but do you just it leave is, it? But, yeah, because those are the, that's, that's what's putting energy back into the plant. And so you want to just leave those all that you can. <clears throat> okay. And I mean, too, when I'm picking out crowns, I guess I don't know the varieties, but I'll do a little bit of research. When I go to the grocery store and get asparagus, I like the I like the pencil ones. I like the thinner ones because I steam them. The ones that are really really big around those just take longer to steam, and to me they taste a little more bitter. What do you think? Well, and you'll probably harvest them a little bit earlier too. Um, I like I, I usually there's one called Mary Washington that <laughs> my daddy used to have. I remember those that have been around forever, but they're females, and they put they just don't they don't. They don't produce as much. They do a lot of seeds. You get a lot of babies around. But I still do those sometimes. But Jersey Night and Jersey something else. I think it's Jersey Night and then there's another one. Jersey something else that are both really, really good. And then uh, a couple of years ago, I did the purple one and it was good. I can't remember the name of it, but it was a good one too. Now I'm looking at a publication from the University of Georgia, um, Jersey Prince, maybe the other one you're thinking of. Jersey Giant, Jersey Prince. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All good male hybrids that'll produce a large yield. Interesting. Yes. I love that. You're going to have to do some this year. You're going to love it. Yeah, I think so. I definitely think so. And so when we're harvesting those two, we're going to wait until they're about maybe five to eight inches long. You could wait maybe a little bit longer, but then just cut it or snap it and then you carry it in. Or you you stand there and eat it like Mickey does. (laughs) Oh, gosh, I just love them like that. (laughs) Very good. All right. So I love that you're resolving to do that. What else? I mean, you've already got so much that you've done. I'm sure not much is new to you to try per se, but I did see that you had some kale and stuff that you just grew too much, didn't need it, and you were giving it away. That was sweet. Oh, yeah. I put it out. By, I do this every year. I mean, you can only cook so much. By the way, the noise you hear in the background is Bubba. I cannot hear Bubba now that you've out. moved away. <laughs> I had to come outside because he was being so noisy. And Bubba, like Bubba is not Mickey's boat. husband. Those of you who have listened for years and years know Stan is Mickey's husband. Who's Bubba? Bubba's my parrot who's been around almost as long as Stan has. But he doesn't like for me to talk on the phone. So he I gets jealous. He needs attention. Mm-hmm. You know, he I does. think Winston Churchill's parrot, how long did <laughs> that does. thing live? I mean, he outlived oh. Winston Churchill, didn't he? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember seeing him on the Johnny Carson show. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah, cool. Was, they were having to bleep him out because he had a 
language. Uh oh, I bet he did. <laughs> wow. But anyway, I'm gonna I'm gonna work on the yard. I've got a lot to do. Um, there are a couple of new beds I want to do. Um, I want to do some. I had to take a tree down in the back, so I may do a bigger vegetable garden in the back back this year. So that's gonna be fun. Yeah, that's fantastic to get as much of that sunlight as you can. I mean, really, people yeah. that don't have much success with their warm season crops. A lot of it may be due to not enough sun, and that's not something yeah. we think about. But when you really look up and spend time looking at the canopy and all of that, all the trees are great. They're wonderful. They're beautiful. But if, you, if you're just not getting enough sunlight, it needs more than filtered. Okay, so that's right. when you really start to think about, well, instead of taking a tree down, are there some that maybe I could limb up or just think about a different yeah. place for this vegetable garden? But, yeah, sun is so key. Yeah. So, well, that's exciting. That's and let me, now, let me ask you, too, because something I'm going to do here in the next week or so, mm-hmm. instead of making a trip to the store, I am going to make my own suet for the first time, just because I know those little birds <laughs> love suet. Well, I think I can do it. I talked to a lady at Tennessee the other day, and she's from, like, Mississippi, and she's like, oh, yeah, and Walter's got a recipe, too, you know, with the Crisco and peanut butter and all this other stuff. So what what's the problem that you run into, or why do you well, not want to do it? My mother used to do it. And she would go to the the butcher and get um, uh, beef fat, Mm -hmm. and she would render that beef fat. And I tried it that way, and I made the biggest mess I have ever made (laughs) in my whole life. And so I decided, and plus it melts. So it's fun to do. It's fun to do one time. But um, you can tell I'm outside, you can hit the train. Um, But uh, it, it, it really does... It, it is messy, and that's so why I just buy the. I, I spend a fortune on on the suet cakes, but my birds like those, they and they don't it. melt when it gets hot. Right, right. Those are made a little bit differently, and also too, if you want to press um, mealy worms into it, the bluebirds would really, really appreciate that. Oh yeah, because they love the suet anyway, because they like protein. Mm-hmm. In fact, I got mealworms for Christmas. How many people get mealworms for Christmas? See, you're answering all my questions today. <laughs> I love it. I have recruited people. I want your garden resolutions and something cool you got for Christmas. And Mickey, you hit you you get a hundred because you hit both. I love it. No, I think mealworms are great for Christmas. That's a good gift. I got yeah, some too. I got I a little bag. I sure did. Thank you, Jay. <laughs> that's a great gift, and that's kind of that can get kind of pricey too. Yeah, they do, but they, the, you know, all the, the bluebirds just, all the birds just about love them. Any of them that, that'll eat, eat insects love them. So I always, I always get some mealworms. Keep them out. Have you ever had live mealworms? Ew, no, no. I was trying to prove to some Boy Scouts one time I was doing a thing for <laughs> that you don't don't anybody do this. But don't I did. try this at home. Garden advice no, to not try. try but Mickey, you've, home, done, but you've they, done a lot of things the rest of us would not do. <laughs> they taste like walnuts, but oh. they're kind of squishy. Oh, yeah, that doesn't make it are. so bad. But so anyway, what, but what, in what, case you ever get hungry, what was the Boy Scouts' reaction? Did you get a lot of oohs and ahs? They were impressed. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I bet. <laughs> I bet. So with the birds too, I have found a great resource um, in the Georgia State Parks website you know about seeds for the birds and what each of them like and just I mean I've, right. I've stressed that over the past couple of months how important it is to keep the feeders clean first of all but also keep them stocked I mean the birds will certainly let you know if you've had a feeder in a normal spot and it's empty I mean they're they're squawking outside they're beating themselves into your window like they're definitely letting you know that that feeder is empty but it's just fascinating the different kinds of seed that you can use 
and the way they feed, you know, what you want to attract. Like ground feeders, for example, you know, you've got the doves and the cardinals that'll feed off the ground. And the ones that are a little pickier, if you want your significant other to maybe uh, build you like a feeding tray, you know, that you can hang from a low limb or something. The purple finches and the chickadees are going to love that. So how many different feeders do you have, Mickey? Like, do you have the squirrel-proof one as your main one? Oh, yes. I've got probably 10 different ones. And I have to be very, very careful because I have some feral cats. Mm-hmm. And so I have to be careful that they can't get to them. But I have the, the tube type feeders and I've got the, the flat feeders. And of course, different birds like different. So we have seed eaters like the cardinals and the finches and things like that. And then the insect eaters like the bluebirds. And then the fruit eaters like the mockingbirds that are getting all the hollyberries now. Right. So that's. Um, you have to know what you, know what they like, and then put that up. And you could you could do you could not have a single feeder in the yard and still get plants. If you I mean still get birds, if you have a, a diversity of plants, that's the whole deal. The birds. Yeah, I think again on your Facebook page you posted something not too long ago. I forget what bush it was. Something burying um, that the birds loved. What would that have been? Probably um, beautyberry. Probably. Yeah. That yeah. may have been, yeah. Is that the one with the purple kind of berries? Yeah, that may have been. I don't remember. I can't I think remember that what it was. Yeah, so see, I mean, uh, or, those are or, just as attractive to birds. Oh, yeah. Of course, they love the hollies, and they like, they love my blueberries. <laughs> Yes, yeah, who doesn't? Those are good, but you got to keep those protected. Well, I'll tell you, and we'll definitely talk again, Mickey, but I'm excited okay. too. Talking to birding, this is just a good topic for this time of year since it's oh, a little yeah. slow outside with the plants and other things. But the great backyard bird count, I promoted that last year with the uh, Cornell Lab of Ornithology. Yeah. And man, that's coming around again too. February uh, 12th through the 15th okay. is the great backyard bird count. And you know, I mean, that's, that's we, we observe birds all the time, sure, but that's that. Sure. That identifiable, you know, subsect of days where they want the science and they want your counts and all of that for research purposes. And you and I did it last year. It's so much fun. It takes like it 15 minutes. Yes, I'm going to do it, definitely. Yeah, so I'll be talking more about that for sure. Well, Mickey, I am glad you checked in and your your Christmas gift was mealworms and your new resolution is an <laughs> asparagus bed. And for anybody who we've piqued their interest and they think... I can do asparagus. Hit me up on the Facebook page, Green and Growing WSB, and I'll send you the resource from um, the University of Georgia on how to get started with that. But awesome advice as always. I'm so glad you called this morning. Well, I enjoyed it. It's great talking to you. You Happy too. New Year. What a nice surprise. Happy New Year to you too, and I'll be seeing you real soon, okay? All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Always love to hear from Mickey Gasway, our friend there, with so much garden knowledge, so much passion about almost every topic you could possibly think of. But time to step out, take a break. Coming up on 7.50 here on Green and Growing. You're listening to WSB. We'll be back. So, assuredly, you heard this two nights ago. If you were awake at midnight, I hope you were. I was not. On New Year's Eve, I went to bed, I think it's 7.30 or 8, because I had to get up at 2 o'clock, 2 a.m. on New Year's Day. I was one of those crazy ones. And your phone, your phone's so smart that it knows when it's a holiday. So, Siri sent me a little warning. Hey, you still have an alarm set for 2 a.m. New Year's Day. Do you want to edit that? And I'm like, oh, you're sweet. That's really thoughtful, but no, I I don't have the holiday off. I am still getting up at two. So happy new year. Welcome to 2021. 
It's been a fun show, and it's been a big year. It's really been uh, just such a learning curve and a learning experience to get out and meet all these people and tell all these stories, and I continue to do a lot more of that in 2021. I have plans to take some field trips and share some things with you. Oakland Cemetery is where I want to go. The Griffin Campus, the University of Georgia down there. Serenby, some organic research being done. All kinds of things that may interest you. And the Great Backyard Bird Count, that's coming up in February, which I'm super excited about. We actually speak to someone from Cornell, giving us kind of the best instructions and the best ways to do that and why it's so important for us to do it. But first, we need to let you know how to plan your weekend. So Finley Roofing sponsors the weather update. We may have some scattered showers later in the day today. It's going to be partly cloudy. Finally, some of that Really thick, dense fog burning off. If you were on the roads here in the last couple hours, you know what I mean. Out of the northern suburbs especially, you couldn't see 200 feet in front of you. So that is starting to burn off. We're going to hit a high of 61, a low of 43, partly cloudy tomorrow. But then it is going to be sunny Monday and Tuesday. Those are going to be nice days. So you can kind of plan your week ahead if you have to make that return to work or to school. Green Green and growing. Ashley Frasca's top three things to do this weekend. Things need to dry out just a little bit. A lot, a lot of rain yesterday. But uh, so in between, these are some things you can get to be thinking about in the next day or two or within the next week. Prune most ornamental shrubs right now. Yes, you heard that right. That's got to be done before the new growth begins in the spring. And Walter Reeves and I talked about all of that winter pruning uh, back at 630. So not to bounce around. But if you need to listen to that again, Walter's advice, we talked for about 12 minutes. That was super helpful. So later on today, go to wsbradio.com, visit our website, click on On Demand, and find the Green and Growing podcast. And there you can listen to the 6 o'clock hour. That's where you're going to hear a lot of those pruning tips. So we talked about that, and that's just such helpful information. But the ornamental shrubs, the ones you prune before they set the new growth for the spring, that's going to be fine to do now. And Walter talked about thinning cuts versus heading cuts. Um, depending on what you're, what you're pruning, tree, shrub, whatever whatever shape you're wanting it to be too. A thinning cut is one where you just take the entire limb out, you know, and allow more sunlight and air into the structure of the plant. A heading cut is one that you would make maybe halfway or whichever portion back on the limb or the branch itself. And new growth is going to come from that point. So it'll make some of those shrubs fill in a little bushier, a little fuller, if that's the look you're going for. But spring flowering shrubs like azaleas, rhododendrons, you do not want to prune those now. If you look really carefully, you see the buds. They've already set the buds. They're going to open this spring. So that's the one thing you don't want to go crazy and prune. Number two, keep compost piles moist for decomposition to continue. And even though it's cold, they still stay warm just as all of that good organic material is decomposing. That process never stops. And number three, protect plants from the cold. You've already been doing this, but we heard from uh, a listener in the first hour down in Florida, actually, but didn't protect a pineapple plant, right? And it actually hit a night of freezing down in Florida, which doesn't happen often, but that's something you really need to stay ahead of. You need to listen to Brad Nitz and Kirk Mellish for those. If the freeze is expected, you just make sure the soil around all the outdoor plants has been watered well. You've got some mulch out there. Anything in containers, that's a little easier to maintain because you can just group those close together on a porch or a patio, move to a little bit more of a sheltered or protected spot like up against the house or, you know, back over near the uh, maybe the air conditioning unit or something like that. And then uh, be sure tender plants like pansies, they might have bounced back from when it was really, really cold at Christmas. They've bounced back and I continue to water and deadhead those. But anything like that, or you see some of the greenery coming up from bulbs that are going to be opening in the spring, the best thing you can do is it's insulation. It's like a blanket when you mulch those well with pine straw 
or bark. 404-872-0750. And also something some of you have asked about, poinsettias, too. So in just a few minutes, I'm going to tell you a little bit about how to keep those poinsettias. You don't need to throw them away. They're actually kind of fun. If you want to move them outside and plant them outdoors, they're going to be really incredible for you. You'll be able to bring them back in next Christmas. It's just like any other outdoor plant. So I'll kind of give you a step-by-step guide on that coming up in the 8 o'clock hour. And we'll hear from Pike Nurseries, a little bit of a houseplant quiz. I guarantee you're going to learn something from that. I've got Kara Mulvey from the Holcombridge store who's going to join me and talking about all the exciting houseplants they have in the nurseries right now. Pike Nursery back open. They were closed for the holiday, but back open. So you want to hit up the nursery as soon as this morning, January 2nd. The day after New Year's Day edition of Green and Growing, 404-872-0750. We'll be right back after this. Save a little more this month. Chime checking accounts have features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe and no monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at chime.com goals 24. Banking services debit card provided by Bancorp, Bank NA, or Stride Bank NA members of FDIC. SpotMe eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply.